On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, curious developments for Jerry de Hutch. He was in great form. Uh, very confident. He was laughing and joking with his his lawyers, and then he was laughing and joking with uh, his two uh, co-accused, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. He has always looked very confident. His counsel has always, at all stages, insisted to get this trial out of the way. He wants this out of the way, and he doesn't want any delays. Jerry Hutch is so convinced of his, you know, his innocence and that he's going to walk that he wants just over with. The Regency trial is entering its final stages, but still has some twists and turns to go. A prisoner who's serving time in an Irish prison um, has come forward to make what's called a jailhouse confession to a prison governor, claiming that he was the shooter uh, involved in the Regency Hotel attack. This person is claiming to be the shooter. I'm Fiannan Sheehan, and today I talked to Paul Williams, special correspondent with the Irish Independent, about what's to come for Jerry Hutch and preparing Jonathan Dowdall for witness protection. He, he's of that kind of personality that he might find it very difficult to keep his mouth shut and his head down. Uh, are, are the family and all the members of his, of his family psychologically equipped to deal with this cataclysmic event that it, it's the nearest thing to die because you're, you're cut off from your natural environment your home your people your neighbours everything you know in your life it's suddenly gone from you and you're in this different world Paul the, the Regency trial back again after a Christmas break and a curious development yes one that uh, one of the, the counsel involved in the case has said fell from the sky and basically uh, what we know so far um, Fionnan is that a prisoner who's serving time in an Irish prison um, has come forward to make what's called a jailhouse confession to a gov- prison governor claiming that he was the shooter uh, involved in the Regency Hotel attack. Basically, that this person, our understanding is that this person has put his hands up and said, it was me, it wasn't Jared Hodge. Right, so this guy is claiming he was one of the people dressed uh, for, as as a fake member of the emergency response unit in a balaclava. And, and but we don't know about the specifics here. around that. He's claiming to be one of the or killer. Or one of the shooters who was down, down the back in, inside in the boxing launch itself. So he's claiming to be one of the shooters at the hotel. Oh no, day. what seems to be specific about this, Fiona, okay. this is what makes this quite a curious development, mm. is that it, this person, what we understand now mm. from the details we have so far, 
is that this person is claiming to be the shooter and it wasn't Gerard Hutch. Now, remember, there were five shooters yeah. there that day. There were six members of the gang when you include the, the van driver. So it is very much a curious development. I've seen this happening through the years. In Limerick, for example, in, in, the, in the Roy Collins murder case, somebody came forward uh, to claim that they did it. Um, it was very obvious they were put up to say this. Uh, in another case in Limerick, uh, 20 years ago, I remember that Kieran, uh, uh, Christy King, the head of one of the notorious feuding drug gangs down there, when he was being uh, uh, tried for possession of a large amount of drugs, a guy got up in court and said it was him and got into the box and said it was him who owned the drugs. But all of that is completely irrelevant. And in fact, um, the prosecution has said there is no relevance here with this. Now, the defence have said that there's no relevance to it at this juncture, that they will be perhaps looking at it because they will and they would, wouldn't they? Um, but you also have to remember as well, if somebody walks in off the street, Fiona, and says to you, right, I commit murder and you're a senior guard officer, I murdered this person, then the same rules of engagement apply as if you were, as the way you would approach the murder investigation from the very beginning. And that is that you must prove beyond all reasonable doubt that the person who, like I, when I come in and confess to you, that I'm telling you the truth. So there's evidence to back up what I'm saying. Presumably the guards will have to check this out. They'll have to check where was this person uh, at the time, uh, telephone records, movements and so on and so forth and what, what evidence he has to back this up, this claim. Oh, they will have to investigate yeah. every detail of it. But at the moment, it is not it is not relevant. Like, for example, if it was a case that somebody, can, this kind of thing could derail a trial in mid-trial <clears throat> or three quarters way through the trial, we're into 11 weeks now, I think, or 12 weeks, um, then it would derail the whole criminal justice system. It just wouldn't function. So not a game changer? Absolutely not. Okay. So the trial, the trial will continue, and the main defendant. What what was his demeanour this week, Jerry Hutch, coming back after the Christmas break? Well, there was one strange moment on Wednesday when we came back. Uh, the court sat, and the judges were sitting uh, in their on their bench, and all the counsel were sitting there, and the media were sitting there, and and the public are back, but not in the same large numbers. But Jerry, for some reason, must have been delayed. When he came in through the door, he had this sort of surprised look at him and said, oops, oh dear, you may didn't realise you were all waiting for me. But on Thursday morning, after this curious development became known, he was in mighty form. He was in great form. He was laughing and joking with his two co-accused, uh, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, uh, two men who, in a way, have been forgotten about in all of this uh, drama or the, the, the trial of the century. And he was joking away with them and he was joking away with his counsel. So one was inclined to think that maybe or suspect that this curious development had certainly tickled him because he was seemed to be in great form. So a, apart from the curious development, we are entering the final stages, I suppose, of the trial. There was some discussion this week amongst the, both prosecution and defence about how much longer they think it'll take. And they were estimate about, about two to three weeks. So we're probably looking for it at the, at the month of January. What else are we expecting to hear? Well, we're going to see tidying up of the loose ends. The, the main planks, the big main planks, the two main planks of this case, Jonathan Dowdall, the supergrass, his eight days of testimony, and also the, 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 the notorious and controversial uh, 10 hours of secretly recorded guarded tapes. They were the main planks. What we're seeing here now at the moment is the sort of basically backfilling in the foundations. The big part and the upcoming 
forthcoming evidence that we know of will be the telephone evidence and the, the electronic evidence where telephones were at particular times, which is going to become quite important as well. Um, and apart from that, we don't really know um, what the defence are going to do. Are they going to produce any witnesses? I would doubt very much if... Uh, Jared Hutch is going to give evidence uh, in a lot of these cases. You never see the defendant getting into the box because the attitude would be, why should he? It's up to the state to prove the case, not up to him. Yeah, we've it, it's been flagged as well. A Garda Sarah Sked will be mm. will be appearing. Her name is familiar to us. She is indeed. She would be. She was one of the backroom uh, army of small group of of specialists that the Gardaí deployed in the in the Graham Dwyer case, uh, and the, the the material that uh, Sarah Sked and and one or two other analysts downloaded and found was quite extraordinary. This is the kind of evidence that left the hair standing on the back of backs of our necks. Um, uh, by the way, talking about Sarah Sked, the, the word privacy has been bandied about here again. That was one of the issues on on um, Thursday, you know, about war, was the, uh, the right to privacy of some of the defendants infringed upon when certain CCTV was uplifted by the Gardaí. And the argument is, hang on a minute, the police are there to gather evidence. They are duty bound to gather the evidence uh, wherever it is. And and as Sean Gillan said, the, the, the prosecutor for the state yesterday said, you know, that has an edict that has come from the highest court in the land, from the Supreme Court. Yeah, we, we saw with the, the 10 hours of tape of Jonathan Dowdall driving Jerry Hutch up to, to Straban to meet with dissident Republicans to see if they could broker a peace deal, that there was lengthy argument around the admissibility uh, of this evidence because some of it was, was collected uh, outside of the state as such. And the judges came back and said, yes, that these are very serious issues, but nonetheless, we believe that this evidence should be should be in it. So that's been the, in the, the inter- line, but that in has the interests of yeah. justice, which was the, the 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 salient line there. It's a lengthy trial, Paul, but it, you know it's not going to be the longest in the history of the state or anything like that. But but nonetheless, it is significant. So ultimately, what is the state saying that Jerry Hutch did? The state is saying that basically Jerry Hutch was one of the organisers and basically was involved in the actual incident. There are two main uh, parts to Jonathan Dowdle's allegations against Jared Hutch. One is that uh, immediately after the um, the Regency attack that they met in a park in Whitehall and that uh, Jerry Hutch seemed to be in a panic and was regretting the fact that he had shot David Byrne. Prior to that, he also claimed that the night before the attack, he and his father... Uh, had booked a room in the Regency Hotel, which was then used by one of the killers, a flat cap, Kevin Murray, who has since died, uh, at the behest of Patsy Hutch, Jerry Hutch's brother, and that Jerry met them um, on Richmond Road uh, and collected a key card for this room. Now, so far, uh, and it is fair to say, there has been no tangible or concrete evidence produced that any of us have seen or heard to back up either of those allegations um, from Jonathan Dowdall. Also, you have to remember as well, though, before Jonathan Dowdall was uh, charged, uh, you know, or before he became uh, a supergrass, uh, a tout, as they would say in the vernacular, he was facing a charge of murder along with Jared Hutch. So the state at that stage had 
and the DPP, Director of Public Prosecutions, had analysed all the evidence and analysed the Garda file on the case and had decided that there was enough evidence to basically there to sustain a charge against Jonathan Dowdall and Jared Hutch. And that was before they broke rank, so to speak. So that evidence the state are depending on is the, the 10 hours of conversations. Now, you know, you were there, Fionn, uh, and God bless our colleagues, the court reporters who are the the, <laughs> the cream of the crop when it comes to reporting from court cases, but they couldn't even keep up with the kind of, the amount of stuff that was coming up in those tapes because, as you remember, it was just non-stop. A lot of a twaddle from Dowdle. Um, and uh, a stream of conscience and there was a lot of bragging and bluffing. But inside there, the judges have the unenviable task of having to parse, go through every line of that again, those 10 hours of tapes, and find if there is any evidence mm. to sustain the charges. Just remind us again, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, what what exactly are they being accused of doing they're if they're charged with lesser of, uh, much lesser charges of basically aiding and abetting um that the the allegation is that they helped take away they were part of they drove cars in a convoy that arrived at uh, i think St Vincent's GA club not far from the Regency hotel where the gang came back after the the attack and they were all whittled whisked off in different cars in a convoy uh, that's what they're being accused of okay Take us back to Jonathan Dowdall for a moment. We we believe we've seen the last of him, certainly in this court case. Uh, he spent the best part of what two weeks uh, in eight days, eight days in, eight in grueling in, days. Yeah, very very heavy questioning from the defence, and and it got robust. It got it got touchy uh, at at times. We also believe effectively that that's the last we'll, we'll, we'll see of him in public in this country. So where is that's he now right. and what's, what's well, the he's future in, He's like? in Limerick Prison, um, held in isolation with his father. Uh, they're serving, he's serving, I think, four years now uh, for, the, for admitting his role in assisting the gang responsible for the attack on the Regency Hotel, namely the Hutch Gang. Um, he will serve that time, a, a period of, you know, a couple of years maybe of that sentence. Uh, the state will decide when it's, when they're at the moment trying to piece together a witness protection programme for him and his family, which is a very, very complex and very, very difficult and sensitive and highly secretive process. There'll be all kinds of psychological tests being done at the moment. Uh, they have to prepare the, the people who are going into that that program with Jonathan Dowdell as in his close family will all have to be prepared because once you go in there, so to speak, there is no coming back. You do a deal like, okay, there is nothing stopping somebody saying, you know what, I'm fed up with this, I want to get out of it. But the state has to employ every possible resource that it has to ensure their safety. Because if, for example, something happened, Jonathan Dowdall, whether he's discredited or whether he's not in the, in, in, the, in the coming weeks and months in this trial, it would hobble and seriously disrupt the criminal justice process because the state has to be prepared if somebody comes forward and you make a, 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 a provision for supergrasses that they must be protected. If you can't protect them and they're hit somewhere, then it really does undermine the, the confidence the public have for nothing else in, 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 the, in the police and the criminal justice system. Are we effectively limited to an English-speaking country 
here, USA, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, in terms of placing people from this country in witness protection? The, the quick answer is yes, but we don't know. Uh, like you, a lot of the stuff that you will hear about around what the Dowdle case will, there'll be a lot of false red herrings thrown out there just to put people off, which they do. Having listened to Dowdall uh, for eight days, and I, I can clearly say this, he was the most undislikable individual. It doesn't mean he's a discredited individual, but he's certainly the most undislikable. Um, I think that Dowdall, uh, th- there's going to be a lot of difficulties in this. A big, big challenge here is that, you know, there's so many photographs of Dowdall around. Uh, the Hutch people, certainly behind the scenes, have loads of photographs of him and his family, and they've been using social media when it suits them to throw stuff up to to basically be intimidating. Now, Dowdell has been photographed so much; he's a very distinctive-looking guy. Unless he grows a beard uh, and lets his hair grow very, very long, you know, there is always a chance that he may be spotted again. Um, so that's a big problem. The other issue, uh, which I would speculate upon, is that. Having listened to Dowdall for eight days and having looked at him through the years beforehand, especially around the time he was in Sinn Féin and, and when he left, that he's the kind of individual who might be hard to hide. Uh, he might be, he's he, he's of that kind of personality that he might find it very difficult to keep his mouth shut and his head down. Um, certainly when you're looking at him for eight days in the box um, now he was fighting for his life there but you know I, I think there are, and these are all the considerations I would not like to be the person who ultimately signs off on the witness protection programme because it's incredibly difficult because remember psychologically are the family and all the members of his of his family psychologically equipped to deal with this cataclysmic event that it, it's the nearest thing to dying because you're you're cut off from your natural environment, your home, your people, your neighbours, everything you know in your life. It's suddenly gone from you and you're in this different world. Yeah, he, he doesn't strike one as the kind of guy who will just blend into the background in Boise, well, Idaho. He, he, he'll have to keep his that big mouth of his shut, certainly. <laughs> Paul, uh, closing stage or so of the trial and then it'll it'll go out the, the, obviously no jury because we're in the special uh, criminal court the judges then will will have to come up with their deliberation so when when would you expect a verdict are we looking at February here I, I would I would I don't know because there'll be a lot of careful that, consideration yeah, of the three yeah, judges a huge like, of, of, of a all the huge issues job. we put to them yeah. a huge job in front of them so I would say that say it ends in two weeks time I would say that then it's a foregone conclusion that the court will retire and will retire for perhaps a number of weeks and maybe a month maybe even longer I think Jared Hutch will have to wait um, for perhaps until February he'd be coming up to his 60th birthday very soon he, he's 60 in April so I think Either one way or the other, when it comes to his 60th birthday, he'd be blowing out the candles on his cake. Either A, as a free man, uh, with as a free man of the North Inner City, he'd be back again in his beloved territory. Or two, he will be spending the next 10 to 20 years in some prison. And my thanks to Paul Williams for joining me today. I'm Fiona Sheen, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carl, researched by JJ Clark, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.